Please turn in your Bibles now to the book of Genesis, Genesis 36, verses 20 through 29. The word of the Lord. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Serer in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shifo, and Anam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya and Anna. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion with his father. These are the children of Anna, Dishan and Ohalabama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishan, Hemden, Eshban, Ethron, and Cheran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zaavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aram. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna. Now please turn with me in your Bibles to the other end of the scriptures, to the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5. Revelations 4 and 5. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four elders, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the, four, the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped let's pray Heavenly Father, we come before you now. What an amazing vision this is of worship. And so, Lord, we pray that as we take this time now to consider the worship that takes place in heaven, the worship that will be, we ask that it will shape the worship that is right now, our worship in this, in this uh, life of, of shadows and where we're waiting that heavenly home where we can worship you. So we ask, Heavenly Father, that by your Holy Spirit, that you would shape our worship today through this vision of heavenly worship. In Jesus' name, amen. The year 2020, I believe, will go down in the church history books. 
And I think it'll be recorded in the church history books as being marked by the unprecedented worldwide phenomenon of people worshiping from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Countless churches uh, across denominations and around the world move their worship services from uh, in-person to exclusively online for a time, and millions of Christians uh, found themselves worshiping at home with their families, and oftentimes in their pajamas. I think and, and I hope that most Christians found themselves missing in-person uh, congregational worship. Throughout the pandemic, I'm sure uh, many of us thought again and again, it's not supposed to be this way. <laughs> It is not supposed to be this way. But in heaven, it will be that way. Not the pajama part and not the being separated from God's people part, but the part about worshiping God at home with your family. Heavenly worship will be just that, where the place of worship will be our home. The object of our worship and everlasting enjoyment will be the triune God and the people of worship will be our family. So today we're going to think about those three profound aspects of heavenly worship. Uh, the place of heavenly worship, the object of our heavenly worship, and the people of heavenly worship. It's good and right uh, to, to meditate on heaven, isn't it? I mean, there's endless benefits to it. Ezekiel Hopkins was a 17th century British Puritan, and he wrote a book called The Excellency of Heavenly Treasures. And in it, he encourages us to think much about heaven. He said this, Send all your thoughts and all your desires as spies into the land of promise to discover the riches and beauty of it. So let's do just that. Let's send the spies of our thoughts and desires into the land of promise now. Let's first consider the place of heavenly worship. Let's look back at Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Our passage begins with uh, John receiving a vision of heaven and of Christ speaking to him uh, like the brilliance of a trumpet and telling him to come up and to see what will take place. So this is a vision of heaven and the worship that will take place there. Let's hit the brakes for a second. Let's just get to the basics. What's heaven? What's heaven? The Bible says that heaven is God's throne where God rules over all of creation, the entire universe, everything that exists. So it's his throne, but it's also his home where he dwells. Now, there have been different types and shadows of God's home throughout redemptive history. Uh, the Old Testament tabernacle and temples were designed to be shadows of God's heavenly home. In fact, the most common name for the Old Testament temple was the house of God or the house of the Lord, rather than just the Hebrew word for temple. In 1 Kings chapter 6, when Solomon builds the first temple, it's, it's called house 38 times in 38 verses. House, 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 house. 
Then in the New Testament, God says that we become his temple and his home when his Holy Spirit dwells within us. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. So, in the Old Testament, God's earthly homes, in a sense, were the tabernacle and the temple, homes that could never fully contain him, of course. And in the New Testament, we see that we become God's temple the dwelling place and home of his Holy Spirit. So we see throughout the Bible the uh, types and shadows of heaven, these other places that God calls his home. So heaven is God's home, and it's also our home, too. I used to work in a residential treatment center for boys in Onamia before I became a pastor down in Rochester. Onamia is just a, it's a little speck of a town just uh, south of uh, uh, Mille Lacs Lake. And, uh, and the boys there, they were placed in treatment there for uh, sometimes a year or even longer. And as you would expect, the, the boys would uh, miss home terribly. There was one boy in particular, uh, we were in a meeting with him. He, this is a 17-year-old boy. And, uh, and he was uh, freshly given the, the sad news that, that he was going to have to stay in treatment longer than he, was gonna, than, than he was expecting, I think perhaps a few months longer. And that news just shattered him. This, this strong, proud, 17-year-old boy just crumbled. And he cried and began crying and sobbing, you know, the deep, ugly kind, you know. And, and he just started crying with all of his might. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. There is within each one of us a, a love for home and a longing for home. No matter who you are, that's marked and written on us. This life is it's filled with these, these little glimpses and metaphors and tastes of what true home is like. And it's only until we come to our heavenly home that we will know and experience the true meaning of home. So heaven is God's home and it's our home too. Throughout the Bible, heaven is a place that's it's referred to with various uh, sizes uh, and levels of familiarity and intimacy. Heaven is, it's a huge place. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven is also called a, a better country, Hebrews 11. It's also called a city, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, in Revelation 21. And, in, and Jesus, in John 14, calls heaven my Father's house, in which there are many rooms. So heaven is both an expansive place of worship with countless peoples and heavenly beings, but it's also a familiar, safe, and intimate place that's all our own. It's so profound and incomprehensible to think how heaven can be so vast and yet still all be home. What is also striking to note about worship in heaven is that according to Revelation 21, there's no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So God's temple, God's home, and our home are all one and the same. 
In heaven, we don't go anywhere to worship God. We worship from home, and home is everywhere. In this present life, we, we see a schism between worship and life. We worship on Sunday, and then Monday through Friday, we work. We worship at church, and then we rest at home. We, we worship in, when we do our devotions, and then we go about our normal activities. There's a, oftentimes a disconnection in our hearts and minds between living life and worshiping as we live life. In heaven, though, life and liturgy become one. Life and liturgy become one. And that doesn't mean that when we get to heaven, it's just one long service. But in a sense, it is. Because our work becomes a part of the liturgy. Our work becomes worship. Our play becomes a part of the liturgy. Our play becomes worship. Our rest becomes a part of the liturgy and becomes and is our worship. And so is our feasting and our reigning. Everything. Our singing, which in this life is, is often distracted or mindless or sometimes it's self-serving. Our singing will be an unadulterated worship. Life and liturgy will be one. Next, let's th now think on the, the object of our heavenly worship, the triune God. In Revelation 4 through 5, the Apostle John receives a vision of heavenly worship, and it, it transcends any worship that we have ever experienced or have ever e even imagined. The glorious weight of what we see in this vision should press down onto our present earthly worship and shape every aspect of it, orient every aspect of it. In Revelation 4, we have a vision of God on his throne. There's seven torches of fire around his throne, representing the Holy Spirit. And God is surrounded by 24 elders and four living creatures. We first hear in this vision from the four living creatures in verse 8. They say, uh, it says that day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now this is very similar, right, to what the cherubim proclaim in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw a vision of the Lord on his throne. In both visions, there's this three-time repetition of holy, holy, holy. And in the Hebrew language, a three-time repetition of something expresses the superlative nature of it. And so here the four living creatures are declaring the superlative majesty of God's holiness. There is none like him. And these four living creatures, they're described as being full of eyes. Full of eyes. That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> but why? Why is that? There's several ideas out there, but perhaps they are created with as many eyes as possible to take in as much of the sight of the face of God as possible. There's no greater beauty in all of heaven and earth. A handful of years ago, probably about half my lifetime now at this point. <laughs> uh, I was in Colorado hiking around at, at, in uh, Pikes Peak. 
I'm, I'm a local Minnesota boy. I've been here my whole life, and so uh, mountains really are, are pretty awesome uh, uh, to us Minnesota boys because we just don't get to see them very, very often. And I, as I was hiking around, I was just overcome with the beauty of it. I was, I was in awe. And, then, and it struck me. I was like, wow, if this is how beautiful the creation is, how much more beautiful is the creator of all beauty? God's beauty is, it's a mystery. Uh, we'll simply have to wait for it. And, and when we do see him face to face, we'll instantly know that we'll be able to enjoy him forever. So the four living creatures declare the superlative holiness of God. And then the 24 elders respond by bowing before God, taking off their crowns and casting them to the throne, declaring in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All glory and honor and power is given to God because as the creator of all things, he is worthy. Then in chapter 5, John sees a scroll in God's right hand with God's message of what is to come. But it's sealed with seven seals. No one is able to open the seals in order to open the scroll. So John begins to weep loudly. Then an elder tells John that there is one who can open the scroll, the Lion of Judah. But what appears next between the throne and the elders is not a lion, but something quite the opposite, a lamb. And the lamb appears standing, but having been slain. Standing, but having been slain. <laughs> Both. He, this, this, is a, this is a lamb that has been sacrificed, but it's, been, but it's alive. Now about, I don't know about you, I mean, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, so I, I haven't slain any uh, uh, lambs. Um, I, have, I have done chickens, but I've never done lambs. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, af after they're dead, they don't stay standing, do they? But this lamb was slain and is alive, both sacrificed and surviving. And there is only one lamb who fits that description, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. The lion is the lamb, who, and he, he conquered his enemies like a lion by dying like a sacrificial lamb. His quiet, humble laying down of his life was like a lion's bite to the throat of sin and death and Satan and all of his enemies. In verse 9, the four living creatures and the 24 elders then bow before the lion-like lamb and worship to him, and they sing a new song of worship to him, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here we see the unequivocal worship of the Lord Jesus Christ for his work on the cross. G 
Jesus is God. And as a member of the Trinity, he is to be worshipped equally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The, the, the triune God, each person is the everlasting object of our heavenly worship. Jehovah's Witnesses, they do not worship Jesus. And, and perhaps there's many in Christian churches who do not keep Christ as their central focus of their worship. Maybe he's off to the side. Maybe he's not focused on. Furthermore, many professing Christians, when they think of heaven, they don't think first and foremost of seeing and worshiping Christ. They may think of reuniting with family and, and friends and, and uh, perhaps pets and meeting saints from of old and seeing angels for the first time. Now, you know, these are good and interesting thoughts, but, but is, is Christ the one who they're most longing to see? The Apostle Paul put it well in the book of Philippians, and when he wrote that book, he was in prison, and he was, he was possibly facing death. And so as he's looking death in the face, he's, he wrote this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better. So why is death gain and not the complete loss of all, all things? Because we gain Christ. May seeing and worshiping Christ in heaven be our deepest longing here on earth until we see him face to face. So heaven will be our home, and the place we worship, and the object of our worship will be the triune God. Let's now consider the people who will be worshiping with us in heaven. Try to remember for a moment here, what, what's, what was the biggest worship gathering that you've ever been to? How many people were there? Perhaps uh, you've been to a large conference with several thousands, or, or a worship conference of a well-known artist, or, or maybe it was way back in the day at a Billy Graham crusade or a Promise Keepers event, uh, where, where there, you have tens of thousands of people uh, worshiping together. You never, you never forget an experience like that. It's powerful. But these experiences... They're just mere campfire kumbaya gatherings in comparison to what we see next here at the end of Revelation chapter 5. It is the big, it's the vision of the biggest worship gathering in all of Scripture. Not only are the 24 elders and the four living creatures worshiping God and the Lamb, but also angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. All right, so some quick math here. Some of you are like, guys, it's Sunday. No math, please. <laughs> but some quick math here. So a myriad is 10,000. And so 10,000 angels times 10,000 angels is 100 million angels. And 1,000 angels times 1,000 angels is a million angels. So really, we're just talking here, countless millions of angels appear and join in worshiping God and the Lamb. What would that sound like? Deafening grandeur that shakes every part of you, even shakes every part of your soul. 
sublime harmonies that transcend what our ears can even hear. That sounds so magnificent and captivating and beautiful that it seizes the attention of every living thing. But as majestic as, as, as this vision is so far, it doesn't stop. It gets bigger. It gets way bigger. In verse 13, we read the, that the worship gathering expands with every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever let's slow down let's try to think about this for a minute this is too big to just read over and skip over and just keep moving picture yourself this is a, this perhaps this is a silly exercise but picture for yourself a, 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 for a moment a moment here being on the international space station okay you get on your spacesuit you get out for your spacewalk and above you and below you is the earth and all around you is the great expanse of space and the and the all the stars shining and and all of a sudden you're surrounded by countless millions of angels shining in glory and they completely fill the expanse of space all around you and then as you look down you see every creature on earth every animal every insect every fish every bird gathering together and then you, you see all the people of the earth gathering together, and, and even those who are dead from all of history coming alive and gathering together across the lands and the mountains. And that's not all. And then you, you see new types of creatures and beings from heaven that you've never even imagined before. They show up. And then for a moment, it's silent. As every th living thing does what it was created to do. They fix their gaze on the triune God. And they worship with one voice. This is awe. The highest worship from everything that has breath in both the physical universe and the heavenly realm is worthy of God and of the Lamb. This is one of the greatest passages proclaiming the deity of Christ because if the Lamb is just as worthy of this all-encompassing worship as him who sits on the throne, then Jesus Christ is God, without a doubt. For if he is anything less, then this is idolatry par excellence. So one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So heavenly worship is in one sense broad, encompassing everything that is breath. But heavenly worship is also specific. Who will be the people who will be worshiping God in heaven for all eternity? It will not be every person. It will only be those who are a part of the family of God. God must be your father, and you must be his son or his daughter. Otherwise, you'll spend eternity away from heaven, 
in hell, the place of everlasting torment. Because your sin, your rebellion against God, your breaking of his law has made you his enemy and not his child. So how do we flee God's wrath and, and his judgment? How can we know that we've been rescued from the fires of hell? How can we know that we've become a child of God? John 1.12 gives us a promise. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. People often speak of, of everyone being a child of God. But God doesn't speak that way. You aren't born a child of God. You become an adopted child of God by receiving Christ as your Savior and believing in his name alone. Then you are promised the right, the highest privilege and status of being a child of God. So believe and become adopted by God. You will join a family of true worshipers from every people, group, and nation on earth. In heaven, there will be a beautiful diversity of people from all backgrounds and ages and ethnicities across all time. There will be a huge family reunion. Yes, you, at that family reunion, you will meet strangers you've never met before. But you will instantly recognize them as family. For we will all look like family no matter the color of our skin during our life on earth, for we will all blaze with the same glory of our Father. Horatius Bonar, a Scottish hymnist and author, he wrote a book titled Morning of Joy. And in it, he wrote of this family reunion in heaven. But there is reunion, and one of the joys of the morning is this reunion among the saints. During the night, they had been scattered. In the morning, they are gathered together. In the wilderness, they have been separated, but in the kingdom, they shall meet. How wonderful that will be to finally leave the night in the wilderness and be gathered all together at home with our Father. I kind of feel like I get a taste of that right now. I've only met like three of you, four of you right now. <laughs> the, the rest of you, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just seeing. But we've worshiped together, and I can see. Here are my brothers and sisters. I can recognize you. This vision in Revelation 4 and 5, is, it's, just but a, it's just a taste of what, worship, of what worshiping God at home with our family will be like. It will be infinite, and it will be intimate. It will be familiar, and it will be mysterious. It will be safe and secure, and it will be a weight of glory that transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. Life will be liturgy, and we will fulfill the greatest purpose for why God created us, to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever and to be enjoyed by him forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we simply can't wait 
to behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. How we long to see the source of all beauty, to behold your beauty, to worship, to be ever satisfied in your presence, to be with brothers and sisters. Lord, we long for that day. We ask, Lord, that, that this heavenly worship would shape our present worship right now. Oh, Lord, how humble it seems right now as we worship small in number in very, very humble ways. Our, our voices are weak. Our, our understanding is so little and childlike. But one day, these things will all come to fruition. They'll all become mature. We'll all see what we've been longing for and waiting for and how amazing that will be. So we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to shape us with this vision. In Jesus' name, amen.